Hello, everybody, and welcome into another Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish sage himself. And we need the Jewish sage right now for what we're going to be talking about. Mr. Steve Herzig, how are you, sir? I'm great, Chris. Do you notice what's behind me? We got a brand new edition to our podcast room. Yes, uh, you. we actually took something away and added something. So first, let's talk about what we took away. We took away a shofar, uh, which is uh, usually on the top of a bookcase we have. But I took it home because I'm taking it for the weekend to talk about Rosh Hashanah. We're in the middle of the 10 days of awe between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And that's something that you're doing with your family right now. Well, I did it last night. That was That's what I did with the family. I blew the shofar. And when we talk about your family, you've got kids that live in the area, and they have kids, and you have them all come over, and you that's talk right. about Rosh Hashanah that, and all that. Which I did. Did uh, you have honey and We had apples? apples and honey and challah, mind you. Okay, good. The special bread that's actually Sabbath bread, but boy, when you dip it in honey, uh, it's really good. <laughs> it's really good. Uh, Do the kids like it? Uh, they never had it before, but what I did is to get their interest, instead of saying, normally we use a knife when we cut our bread, but we're passing this whole round loaf around, and you can rip it off as much as you want and dip it into the honey. We want a sweet new year. Right. So I told them, hey, have you ever heard the expression, that's sweet? And they said, <laughs> yeah, we have. I said, well, that's what we want, a sweet new year. So then I'm taking the uh, the shofar to Connecticut. I'll be speaking up in Connecticut, and I'm on the holidays. And did so. you show the grandkids the shofar? Oh, I blew it for uh, you. Did oh, I? Blew did you it scare for them? them? Uh, no, did not scare <laughs> them. But uh, th- taught them about it, the name, and uh, they should have remembered, but they didn't from last year. But either way, that's that why you, God has you this, keep doing you do it, it year every after year. year until they say, "Ah, it's a shofar." <laughs> <laughs> that's how you know you've won. That's how you know you. That's won. right. That's, that's how right. you know that's you've done that's your right. job. But so I took the shofar away, but I added something. And could, why don't you tell our listeners what I added? Well, it's, it's actually really good because if you watch our podcast on YouTube or Facebook, um, you can see our podcast room and you can see normally the top shelf is occupied. The, the shofar occupies the top shelf. But we've added a... Why don't you get the lady down there, um, Steve? Uh, we've at, Steve brought in a special... Uh, you can. This is the camera over here. Ah, there we, we, go. we We added a special young uh, Israeli uh, army woman, a woman uh, from the IDF Israeli army. woman, no, yeah. That's right. And she's... I, I, don't, I mean, the thing... I don't even know what it is. It's just an interesting-looking doll of an Israeli woman. It's a reminder that uh, in Israel... Male and female are in the IDF. It doesn't ah, matter whether you, like that. whether you have a, a a man, a baby boy, or a baby girl. They're going in the army. Although interesting, as I showed you yesterday when I brought it, uh, we have this guy here. Yeah, right. Why don't you put him down here too? On the uh, this is our Hasidic guy. I wonder if I can get a sh- better shot here. here I mean, if I, what if I hold? Yeah, him? there you go. That's better. Let me see if I can for our. Uh, there you go. Yep, that's it over here. Okay. This camera. Okay. Yes. So there's our two people. So normally, in most cultures, uh, you have the men going to the army. Mm -hmm. But now we have a woman going to the army, and the men are staying home and praying. (laughs) That's a Hasidic. A Hasidic. That's right. The the only ones that are exempt, they're exempt from serving in the IDF because they're praying, uh, at least that's the argument, they pray for the uh, soldiers. And, and that's actually a pretty contentious issue in Israeli culture. It's that... Very contentious. Because um, if you actually study the history of the Orthodox Hasidim, uh, Hasidim in Israel, 
uh, a lot of them got um, wiped out by the Holocaust. And I think, I believe Ben Gurion, I think there were only 400 that were in Israel at its, um, uh, you know, early on when, when before Israel had become a, a state. And um, a lot had been murdered in the Holocaust. So to rebuild the, the Hasidim, the Orthodox community, uh, Ben Gurion gave the permission for them to kind of huddle together and pray and. They didn't have to join the army and all this. And they have grown, by the way. Oh, they're a huge, they're a huge army now of people, of, of very religious, orthodox Jewish people. But their argument is, well, we don't have to go to the army. Even though every other Israeli has to go to the army, we as Israelis, as religious, don't have to go because um, we're praying for everybody. Oh, and this frustrates. Oh, uh, the even we're talking about what we'd call regular orthodox or conservative or reform or secular they're all going into the IDF. Uh, and Chris, you could go back to the uh, 67 war and Yom Kippur war where they got stoned mm-hmm. uh, the, because they were fighting on Shabbat. You yeah. can't fight on Shabbat. Yeah, the religious, the, the Orthodox were stoning their own people because they were fighting on Shabbat. That, that's right. It, gets, it helps us. You know, we don't like to talk badly about other cultures that aren't ours uh, in America. But it's, it is interesting and gives you a perspective of the kinds of things that Israel faces. Uh, and, and it's just interesting. Well you, you, well, you brought the tension to the podcast room, Steve. That's, That's right. What I, you know, it, it's actually this in, in this conversation, too, about how the, the Orthodox don't go to the army, but the, the um, young men and women uh, who aren't Orthodox do— uh, this is actually one of the reasons Ben Gurion, I'm, I'm, excuse me, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu lost his uh, footing as uh, prime minister because before he was uh, uh, ousted, uh, um, I think almost uh, a summer ago, more than a summer ago, as prime minister, uh, if you remember, one of the people within the coalition government that he had, uh, he was a secular Russian Jewish man. Um, and he was in his coalition, and he wanted Benjamin Netanyahu to make sure that the Orthodox were going into the army. And Benjamin Netanyahu, part of his coalition, was also also the Orthodox. So Benjamin Netanyahu had to balance a secular guy that said, "I want everyone in the army," and the Orthodox saying, "If you put us in the army, we're leaving your party." You know, he, he was dead either way. It was it was, and that's why they started going into elections all the time. And actually, all kind of stems from. There's a lot of issues, but this that, that, one. That's right. A it's major a big one. issue, and uh, we understand. But I thought that was interesting. So we have our. Female soldier, I like our it. Hasidic prayer guy, and uh, it's just a, f- a fun way uh, when people come into our podcast room. It's a conversation piece. In fact, tomorrow, Chris, we'll be bringing in some people from the JCRC who will be coming to visit Friends of Israel, and I'm hoping to be able to show them this podcast oh, room. that'll be great. Uh, the JCRC, for our listeners, is the Jewish Community Relations Council uh, here in South Jersey, where we are, outside of Philadelphia. It's a, it's, a big, it's a big Jewish community in South Jersey, and the Jewish Community Relations Council has a lot of impact in the Jewish community of Cherry Hill here. That's right, and we serve in our encounter group to help them, yep. uh, and uh, making... Uh, primarily putting together baskets or bags uh, for the holidays. Uh, So we have our people who come. It's a service to them. We volunteer. We also worked in a Jewish cemetery and cleaned it up, weeded, and did all kinds of things. Uh, They look for projects for us, and we're happy to work for free. Why? Because we want to bless Israel. We want to bless the Jewish people. Uh, that's That's what we're supposed to do biblically. And it's interesting the reaction we get. Um... 
it's taken time over a long period of time. We had to prove ourselves, and that's only fair mm-hmm. uh, because, quite frankly, the Jewish community, not just in South Jersey, everywhere, is kind of skeptical of who are these Christians in the name of Christ. They've done terrible things, and now what is this? Uh, uh, what are they trying to do? Sweeten uh, the pot a little and then stab us in the back there? They uh, And w- I would defend that attitude, mm-hmm. absolutely. But we genuinely love them. We'll prove ourselves no matter how long it takes. And tomorrow's going to be an example of that relationship which we've started and has been going strong, established uh, over 20 years ago uh, through the work of Elwood McQuaid, demonstrating that Friends of Israel is here to love the Jewish people. And that's what we're doing. Um, but Steve, uh, it's September 28th. It is September 28th. Do you know what uh, you showed me this? Of course you do, but actually, (laughs) it fits perfect. Do you know what day it is on September 28th? Yes, I do, Chris, because listening in the radio, I would have not known this, and I don't know how long it's been going on, but we do have a link that we'll send to people who want to verify. I told you I want this verified because... I didn't believe it when I was listening on the radio this morning. It is National Ask a Stupid Question Day. (laughs) I thought this. So the radio people were saying, wait a minute, we ask stupid questions all the time. So they said in order to celebrate and ask a stupid question day, we're going to ask our audience. This is what they said. Call us in and ask a stupid question. <laughs> and so we looked. You verified it. You p- provided the link. There's a link to the Ask a Stupid Question Day for September 28th. And for our, it doesn't matter if it's past the day or on the day. Hey, if you have a stupid question, <laughs> you can go to foiequip.org and you'll see a little section on there that says, Say Shalom. Ask us a stupid question. <laughs> Please, you know, we're the perfect people for stupid questions. <laughs> Easy, Steve. because we'll provide the stupid answers. <laughs> hey, listen, um, we were talking about this stupid questions day, and I've got the Ma, Ma Nishtana up, Steve, mm-hmm. the four questions. That's right. That are asked during Passover. Why is this night different from all other nights? That's right. Why, why is matzah eaten, Steve? Mat- on, pazza, on Passover. Matzah is eaten because we had to get out quick. Why uh, is moror eaten? Bitterness. The bitter time spent. Hey, they should only know the tsuris we had as slaves. <laughs> Why do we dip this food twice? We dip twice. Once in the haroset for bittersweet. And I forgot what the other one was. What do we? Why do we dip uh, uh, the moror? Oh, the moror, bitter, yeah, bitterness, and so we get a bittersweet taste. Okay, and then finally, why are we reclining tonight? We're reclining because, as Martin Luther King would say, "Free at last, free at last." Thank God Almighty, <laughs> we are free at last. So, there- <laughs> so the head of the of the seder will recline. And say, ah, oh, we used to stand and have to be at the beck and calling of our taskmasters, but now it's only our wives that. <laughs> no, that's not true. Oh, that's a good one, though. <laughs> so that's we a, we got to save that that for the stupid uh, husband day. That's a stupid husband yeah, who stupid will say husband. that. <laughs> that's right, and exactly. by the way, I am a stupid husband. <laughs> well, this is the stupid question day. So again, you got a stupid question, write in, and we'll give you and a stupid answer. And those four questions were not stupid. 
uh, that you just asked me because those are significant. They are significant. On Passover, but we were just thinking of questions. Yeah, we were just thinking of questions. That's right. I'm sure there are other good, stupid ones out there. Oh, but yeah, there are a lot of stupid questions right. out there. One of my favorite professors at Dallas Seminary, he was in his 90s when we were uh, going through his class. Dwight Pentecost. Dwight Pentecost. And, you know, when you get older, I think you get a little more fidgety. You get a Be little... Care- be careful. Well, you got twenty. You got twenty more years, Steve. So you're good to go. Uh, but you know what? By you get a little more. Um, I, I don't know. Things might bug you a little more. And I remember this one nice girl in class asked a question about the kingdom, and he goes, "Well, that's a stupid question." And I thought, "Oh, yeah, yeah, brutal." Yeah. And I just thought it's not a stupid. But I. That's what happened. Look at when you're still teaching at ninety. It, you just. Those things happen, you know? He should have bowed out while he had a chance. (laughs) With a little more grace. But anyway, stupid questions are welcome. Go to uh, foiequip.org. Go to the Say Shalom section and give us your question. We'd like to read them. We would love to hear. You know, Chris, just thinking about a stupid question, uh, we always say whenever we minister, whenever there's an opportunity at our conferences— uh, that's what people worry about, and so they are inhibited. I know, and they won't ask the question. So maybe by us kind of making fun of it, it is National Ask a Stupid Question Day. We honestly, you and I, do not believe anything related to Friends of Israel or the the Bible, the Jewish people. We don't believe any question is a stupid. Question. Not at all. Please send your questions, whether you think they're good or stupid, and we will be sure to do our best to answer them, foiequip.org. And just a quick reminder that the Jew and Gentile podcast is sponsored by FOI Equip. FOI Equip is your place to learn the Bible from a Jewish perspective. If you want to sign up, you can put your email address down, and you can become a part of our mailing list at foiequip.org. And you are up, Chris. I'm up. That's right. Um, on October the 6th. I start a intertestamental history class, which is just a very Great. stupid way of saying in between the testaments. So if you want to learn what happened in that 400 years between Malachi and Matthew, come on out October 6, 7.30 p.m. I think that class is going to be very helpful to people. I, I, I think we've already got almost 400 people signed up for that, registered. Uh, we'll do one more push um, ne- uh, this week uh, for people through our email. So if you signed up, you can um, you can you probably have received an email. But if you haven't signed up for uh, FOI Equip to be on our mailing list, go to foiequip.org. I got a question for you, Chris. Yeah, you know when we're recording right now this podcast, it is between not two testaments, but between two of the main. There's seven feasts. This is between five and six. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're recording right now. What's going on right now? Yeah, so w- as you said, you just celebrated Rosh Hashanah with your grandkids and your family, and uh, the, that's um, uh, fall holiday, the first of the fall holidays that takes place. And then uh, following Rosh Hashanah is Yom Kippur, 10 days later. But in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are 10 days of awe, which means it's a time of repentance. This is when you kind of take an inventory in life. Audit. Yeah, We're audit. doing an audit. Yeah, it's a, it's not, and it's not a a financial audit. It's a spiritual audit, and uh, it's a time that you begin to take a look at your relationships with people, and you ask yourself, "Did I wrong somebody?" And then you go and you ask for forgiveness for be uh, for wronging them. So it's not just asking God for forgiveness. God's also commanding you to wrong the or to correct the and right the wrongs that you had with others throughout the year. But you're doing this in the in Jewish culture and Jewish theology, you're doing this so that you can move make sure that your name 
is written in the book of life for the year. And sealed. And sealed for the year. That's, That's right. right. That's right. And so you can go, I can go to you during these next 10 days and say, Chris, that was a stupid question. Why did I ask it of you? I'm sorry. <laughs> That's right. Never, never a stupid question, right? That's right. Never that's a stupid right. question. That's right. But that's a big thing, though, is that the difference between how we understand forgiveness and in Jewish culture and theology and how they understand how God forgives, you know, we don't have to wonder if our names are written in the book of life. Because of what Christ did, our Passover lamb, our, our sacrifice, eternal sacrifice. Once and for all. Once and for all. And not only our Passover lamb, but also our Yom Kippur sacrifice. We have confidence that our names, if you believe in him, are lit, written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. That's and, a great truth. And so uh, with that said, though, uh, until the Lord comes, we all die. We all face that day until the Lord comes, and I hope he comes soon. Uh, but until that day, uh, we're going to die. And um, this is actually an issue. We, we've kind of taken a hiatus. We took a hiatus yeah, it's from it's been our... a long time since we've uh, come to this article. We've that... done two parts to it. That's and right. And now we're coming to the third part. Just a fresh reminder, we're looking at an article in Health Digest uh, that Steve found on what a woman who kind of does uh, um, uh, hospice care, she's a, 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 a doctor in hospice care, and uh, she she kind of through all of the years of all of her experience in these remaining moments of people's lives have been able to categorize kind of the big regrets that people have just before they die. And Steve, why don't we just do a quick recap because I know the first one. I, I, I'll let me read it, Chris. She shares that one of the three common regrets most frequently voiced by patients was number one, not spending more time with loved ones, including. Years lost with a loved one due to a trivial disagreement. We talked about We that. talked about forgiveness with that as That's well. That's right. Another common regret was having spent too much time on work rather than dedicating time to themselves or their families. That and do you remember the Yiddish word that we did for that one? I do not. Farshtunkana. Oh, Farshtunkana. <laughs> now a, I do. That, I watched it you know, a couple of days ago, and you said, that Farshtunkana of a dad, <laughs> he worked his whole life, you know? And never spent time with the kids. <laughs> that's right. He's Farshtunkana. That's right. All right. And lastly, and that's what we're going to talk about today, she found that the third most common regret, a regret amongst patients was lack of courage to pursue a life true to the innermost self, their passions, their desires, rather than living for other people's expectations. Mm. So the idea of actually legacy work, she calls it. And Chris, this was, this was really interesting to me because this was found, she said, among younger patients who were in hospice. So they're young, uh, where most of us expect to live a longer life. Uh, their forecast was pretty dim. And so she talks about the idea of legacy work, where she encourages their pa her patients to, while they have time and are alive, to fill out birthday cards if they have children or brothers or sisters or whatever it is, to leave behind uh, area things about themselves, write little poems or, or a little biography or something to share with them, and at the appropriate time, they can read it and reread it, letters, things like that. So I was thinking of legacy work, not in the sense of what the doctor was telling us, perfectly good advice, but Chris, she's not the originator of legacy work uh, as it relates to Christian life. I think we both found some verses. I'll, I'll tell you to go first. Uh, 
from the Apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you read that passage? Because it really has to do with our legacy. What are people? Know, what will people think about us when we leave this planet? Yeah, First uh, Corinthians chapter three, starting in verse ten, says, "By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one that's already laid, which which is Jesus Christ." If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their their work will be shown for what it is, because the day, I'm sorry, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder the builder will, will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. Wow, that that really arrests your thinking, mm-hmm. doesn't it? But I've, I've always said I would rather have the the gates come down on the back on my back and behind in heaven than have the gates come where I'm first in line separated from God. And so yeah, that's a that's a reminder of the things we do as believers, are they going to stand the test of time, a legacy? What and, kind of legacy? And not even stand the test of time, but also stand the test of God's judgment that's coming. You 100%. Know? Because that's what—it's you know, we talk about this a lot in, in our prophecy conferences that we do, that, you know, it's when we study biblical prophecy, we're not just studying, um, you know, what, what's going to happen in the future— we're also studying the way we should behave as believers today, and not only how we how we behave as believers today, but also the legacy that we leave behind. Because here, the Apostle Paul is saying, what we're building today does matter for that time of judgment in the future, when God's judgment does come, because that's what Paul's saying, his judgment is coming, and look, you could build with gold, and you could build with silver and hay and straw— and if it survives the the judgment that's coming, then you know that it was, it was tested by God as something of value. But if it burns, then it's probably something of that was built selfishly with selfish motivations. The legacy that you leave behind can even be burned in some way. And so, uh, you know, how are you building? What are you building? And you know, what comes to my mind is that you can build all you want all the things that you can dream of, but what? But I think the thing that stands the, as you say, the test of time or the ultimate judgment coming is the fact that we share the good news of the Lord Jesus. You know, a legacy that we leave behind is some, you know, that we lived a, a, a life that was pleasing to the Lord, but that we also made sure people knew that what we believed matters and that we can share our faith and our faith impacts others, but also that they would come to faith because that's really what can stand the judgment that's coming. It's it, So sometimes I think when we think of building, we're thinking of physical buildings that we're building. But a lot of times, the type of building I think Paul is talking about is the discipleship that we pour into others and the spiritual insights that we help give from the scriptures or, or directing people to a relationship with the Lord. Those are the things that will stand the test of God's coming judgment, not the buildings and the selfishness and those selfish motivations. So that was interesting to me, a legacy that's left behind. That's right. And you know, Chris, as I think of that, Friends of Israel wants to build a godly legacy. And in North American ministry specifically, uh, the things we're talking about, we do it in jest, we do it funny, and try to be uh, communicative and, and laugh. But 
uh, when we talk about our courses that you're teaching, Intertestamental, when we had Jim Showers on for Equip, when we had Elwood McQuaid on who talked about Zvi, these were ways to encourage the brethren, to instruct them, to encourage them, to help them see uh, see the ministry that God raised up and glorify him. So we hope that's a legacy. But then, you know, you were just talking about intertestamental history. And you know what came to my mind is the legacy um, that Mattathias left behind. And, you know, here's a guy, you, you, we will probably never know him that's right. outside of this story of Hanukkah, the Hanukkah story. We would never know him at all. But here is a, a priest from Modain, which we probably can't even find on a, you know, the average person can't find on a map. And everybody else around him, his Jewish counterparts, are all sacrificing unkosher things to an unkosher ruler. Eating They're, baby backs. E- ex- <laughs> baby back ribs. That's right. They're loving every, uh, you know, well, not loving it. I should take that back, but they're just following. And they're building by doing that, just following. But here, Mattathias stood up. He said, you know what? If I die doing this, then I'm going to die knowing that I followed the law and I honored God with, with zeal and stood up against this goyim this, who's making us do ungodly things. And yet he leaves, and, he, and he, he won. I mean, he defeated the armies. He ends up dying. But his legacy, think of the legacy that he left behind that we still talk about today. It wasn't a legacy of building a huge empire. It was a, a, a legacy of a man who said, I'm passionate about God and his law. He was willing to die for the cause. Yeah. And that's, that is a legacy. You know, Paul writes uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and starting in verse 9, it says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. That's, that's what we're talking about. For we must all appear, he's talking about believers here, Chris, before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That's your gold or hate. Mm-hmm. Knowing, therefore, this Chris is arresting. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciousness. So, Chris, he's talking about a time, this is talking to believers, he's writing to the church in Corinth, and he's saying, each of us, individually, will stand before God with either building on your verses gold and silver, or hay and stubble. And we, want, we should be serving out of our love for Christ, out of our love for him, and yielded to the Spirit of God in order to serve him praying that when we do face him face to face as saved men and women that we will uh he will say well done my good and faithful servant you you know when we talk about legacy i think you and i are in two different phases of life when it comes to legacy i don't think i know <laughs> I was being kind. Yeah. <laughs> That's not kind. Oh, it's not? <laughs> no. That just reminds me that I'm old. I don't mean to do that to you. You're you're not old. That's the thing. I mean, you're you've got more pep in your step than most 20-year-olds do. So. I don't think so. But that that's but, another story. That's another story, but I will say you have uh 
I'm sure a different way of thinking about legacy that maybe you had when I was when you were my age when I'm I'm 40. Um, we won't mention your age, um, but uh, you, you have. Grand- oh no! Advertise the magazine. I just wrote an article. Oh, that's right. That's right. You could tell them. I have no problem. What was it? Three score and my, uh, entering my. I've, I'm right now entering my three score and ten. That's King James talk for seventy. And Chris, this morning we had a birthday that was celebrated by Menno Kalisher. And he's end entering his three score, six period. That's right. So he's turning sixty. He's in the sixes now. That's right. And he said, this "Oh, morning, I heard about this birthday." He, he yeah. said, uh, "He said uh, this morning that he's entering his seventh decade, and he is." Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, there's different stages of life. I, I interrupted you, which I typically do. So go ahead. No, and Menno Kalisher is a pastor of a congregation in Israel that uh, partners with Friends of Israel. So that's why, I, just in case you were wondering who Menno is, but we were hearing from him today about his, <laughs> about what comes with his age. So. Oh boy, his he his congregation threw him a wingding party. Oh, did they uh, really? Oh yeah, he. He he made a plea. He tell he's telling us. He said, "I stood up by the pulpit and made a plea to the to the Asians in our congregation. Bring me the food. <laughs> you know who you are. He loves he loves Korean food. He oh, loves yeah. Chinese food. He said, "Bring me the food." When when they came, when Menno and Anat, his wife and kids came a, a couple years ago. They said, do you know any great Vietnamese places? I said, I know exactly where it is. And they were eating uh, pho with me, which I never thought would ever happen. But, but to get back on our point here, it's that you and I are thinking probably a little differently about legacy. And, you know, when I sit around the dinner table, I've got my young kids with me, and I'm thinking about them spiritually and how God is leading them and things I'm trying to correct and mold and shape— but when you sit around a day, dinner table, like what you were doing with the shofar recently on Rosh Hashanah, I'm sure you're thinking differently about grandkids. You've got grandkids around the table. What, what, when you think legacy, what do you think? Well, part of it is is culture. That's the human side. I want them to know their background. Uh, and I try to do that with uh, with Alice, my wife, who's German-Swedish, and do that. So t- uh, tonight we're having them over again. They're, uh, I, it's like we're feeding them. Oktoberfest? Uh, uh, but <laughs> not quite. Uh, s- the Swedish side, Swedish meatball. Oh, nice, nice. So all that is, it, you have the legacy of, of the physicality of, you know, your, genera- your, your generation, your background, uh, the fact we're Jewish, the fact we're Gentile, and but we're Christians. Mm-hmm. We're Christians. And so... You want to leave a legacy that reminds them, that gives them an attachment to their, uh, as I'm Zadie and she's Granny, to give them that connection uh, that they'll hopefully remember. Now, they're they're little, and at what point does a person remember all this? Uh, Usually, I attribute it to once you hit 12 or 13, you'll probably remember most of the things, but when you're younger, you have flashes and I'm hoping that, and we, we hope that, first of all, we live long enough so they'll have more than flashes. But if they don't, if we don't, then at least they'll have an identity. They, they'll remember that they did come over. They'll remember the foods we ate. They'll remember the horn that I blew. And they'll remember Hanukkah and all those kinds of things. Uh, that's the legacy. I know that's something that you know transcends cultures, but to be remembered is very important in Jewish culture, that you remember the name of those, um, not that we're trying to put you in a grave here, but where you know that oh, you no, remember 100%. the name. My father, I just got sent uh, from the synagogue when my father uh, died. We obviously buried uh, uh, in a Jewish synagogue, 
and we have to say Kaddish, which is a prayer uh, that remembers the deceased person. And on the year anniversary of uh, any Jewish person's death, if they're following the custom, uh, we get a ma- I still get it in the mail that on uh, November 8th, uh, so it comes before November 8th, uh, they send this, the, um, the funeral parlor sends the uh, message out that I'm to say Kaddish for my father. And I remember having a discussion with him, and he said, now that you're a believer, you won't even say Kaddish. And I said, Dad, it really doesn't matter whether I say it or mm. not while you're, when you're dead. This was I said, a long time a ago. A long time right? ago. Yeah. I told him, what matters is I pray for you now. Mm. I pray for you every day. Mm. And uh, that's, that's the kind of legacy you hope yeah. you can have. So. Uh, le- you know, and for me, I keep thinking about the legacy of, of my, ki- my kids that are, you know, in front of me and, uh, you know, just thinking about where God's going to take them and, you know, praying that they put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. I don't know, you know, I, I can do the best I can to instill um, the, the truth of God's word in their hearts um, through the way I act, through the way I live uh, for the Lord and all the, and all those things and, and, you know, the culture that we have. But I'm always reminded of that passage in Psalms where it talks about that your kid is, or Proverbs, where your kid is like an arrow, and your goal is to aim it. But once you release it, that's when the wind hits, that's when all these things can come. And so, you know, I don't know, that that's where my mind goes with legacy, because those are the things, you know, especially even what we do here at Friends of Israel, like this podcast, like you said, I hope the legacy of this podcast is that it's touching people's lives, connecting them to the, the depth of who God is in some way. And that is what I think we're building. You're building something you know, and I'm hope, and I'm I'm trying to build something, and in our families, in the ministry that we have, but hopefully, as when judgment comes, God honors the it's work. It's in that the we Lord's did. hands. Yes. You do the best you can, and you know it's true. It drives it home. There are probably people listening here who are thinking of legacy, uh, and maybe they have a few regrets, which uh, the doctor talked about towards the end of life, yeah. and. How do I make up for those things? And uh, then you can combine the Rosh Hashanah 10 days of awe. Well, there's 10 days, there's time to make up for it. You mm-hmm. can't change certain things, but you can. There's always repentance coming to God, but there's also, you can go back to your family regrets if, you, if they're still alive and come, go back and say, I blew this, yeah. I did this. Uh, so... I think it's a it's a sobering thing, isn't it? It's sobering here on earth, and it's even more sobering as believers as we face God. That's why Paul used that word terror, because you think about it, we're facing a holy God. He already saved us, but now we're going to find out how true we were when we were living as believers. Were we were we all in, or were we partially in? And that's going to be tested. And uh, that's a sobering thought. You know, um, I'm glad that you brought that up, too, because there's always time to turn back to the Lord, even if you don't have much time left. There's always time to turn back to the Lord. And, you know, I don't think people like to think of God in the terror sense. It's funny how our culture today has, you know, we can sometimes forget that God is very holy, and there is that side of God's love that is full of it can be ter- terror, as it it's says. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry 
God. That's right. And but, but that's even where does wisdom and knowledge begins? It begins with the fear of the Lord. And I don't I know people try to couch that word fear in certain ways. I look at it like I feared my father. I, I loved my dad. I love my dad, you know, but I feared him. There was one time he, you know, really laid into me when I did something wrong. I never forgot it. He disciplined me. I had a great reverence for who my dad was. Um, uh, but I loved him, but he still it was a balance. It wasn't just all fun and games. It was, I'm your father, you're my son, and there's that relationship that, that, that's there. I think that's the same thing, the relationship that we have with the Lord, is understanding love—the love of God is not just a, 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 a dreamy love. It's, it actually incorporates fear and understanding of who God is, His holiness, all of these things that should make us fear Him. It's true. It's a hundred percent true. It's a. It can be a complicated thing. This legacy stuff. It, it can. can be a complicated thing. Uh, Steve, you were saying um, you can return at any point, and I was uh, doing a radio program on the Book of Joel and um, for the Friends of Israel today, and I found this one great passage in Joel that just stood out to me. God was calling is uh, the Jewish people back to Him. Um, judgment was coming. And it says, even now, this is Joel chapter 2, verse 12, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. I love this. Tear your hearts, not your garments. Oh, I love that passage. That's a great, that's a great line. Yep. So you think about legacy, it, you know, it's not just the act of the things that we're doing. It's that God is a personal God who loves us and wants us to build for him uh, 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 not a kingdom, but build for him a ministry that is impacting the lives of others, discipling others, bringing others to the Lord. Those are the things that will stand the test of God's judgment, uh, not the selfish motives that we have that we want to build often on. So that's uh, that ends our time, Steve. That was a great find. That yeah. Now find. we got to think of what we're going to do next uh, week. I know. If it, it, we'll figure something out, we'll let you know next week what we're going to do. <laughs> Twenty five minutes before we get that's started on the right. podcast. That's right. All right, Steve. Why don't we move to the news? Well, Chris, it's interesting. I was what uh, I got an email from All News, which is Joel Rosenberg, uh, this morning. All Israel News. Yeah. I'm sorry. All is. What did I say? All news. Oh, all <laughs> not all news. All Israel. All news. Israel. Yeah. I, I left the keyword. A uh, stupid. <laughs> not a stupid question. A stupid statement. <laughs> it's a perfect day for it. <laughs> so the headline read: Red heifer sacrifice could take place in one year in Jerusalem. So I read the article real quick. It was early this morning, and I forwarded it to you and said, "Let's use it for our podcast." Whereupon you said, "What?" I can't open this thing. I, what do you mean you can't open it? So I went back, and sure enough, they took it off. And we do not know why they removed this article. Once again, yeah, it might pop back up at some point. I don't maybe, know. but we wondered uh, if whatever because red heifer sacrifice. First of all, but I, we will say, can I just uh, the 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 link is in the article, but for uh, the Jerusalem Post version of it. So Jerusalem right. Post also picked up on this, and so I have that linked in our show. And notes. that's that. Yeah. So we couldn't use the All Israel News, but I I found it interesting because what there are five red heifers, Chris, five red heifers that have been brought to Israel that right now are kosher. Which means they're fit, they're proper, they're a okay, but they have to wait about eighteen months when they reach a certain age 
uh, where they're adults, and then they'll inspect them. And Chris, if they have less, if they have more than three white hairs on their whole body, and heifers are big, those are big animals. Mm-hmm. It's not kosher anymore. So they have to wait and find out. But what's interesting, there's a Texas businessman named Byron Stinson, uh, and he was instrumental in locating and helping get five red heifers from the United States to Israel. And he told All Israel News that finding the sacrifice ready cows was not the only objective. Bona Israel, B-O-N-E-H, Israel, the organization Stinson is involved with, has also purchased land on the Mount of Olives that meets the requirements, Chris, for a biblical sacrifice outside of a temple. That is mind-blowing. So we could, there could, in the next few months, it says a year in your article. Yes, it does. That there could be a, one of the first sacrifices in Jerusalem, uh, you know, Chris, in thousands of years. Chris, can you imagine the ruckus Aye. if they even attempt it from the uh, the Palestinian side? They're going to be say, they're going to be saying, oh, they're trying to take over the temple. It's going to be crazy. But that is the headline. Red heifer sacrifice could take place in one year in Jerusalem. And not since 70 AD, Chris. Uh, the heifers were located and brought to Israel, like you said, with the help of Bona Israel Organization, which involves both Jewish people and Christians. Brian Stinson, who is the Texas rancher and fundraiser and advisor for the organization, raised the cattle. Uh, it also says this, the heifers, <laughs> the heifers were greeted by a ceremony at Ben-Gurion Airport. <laughs> Couldn't you just imagine? I know, all these rabbis came out, I'm not going to read all their names, with Stinson, who's a Christian, and the Jerusalem and Heritage Ministry Director, Nathaniel Isaac. But I want to read this, Steve. This is Stinson, the Christian, the Texas cattleman who's a Christian, said... Quote, I did not set out to do this, uh, but right now I am probably the best red heifer hunter in Texas, (laughs) Stinson told Israel 365 News. He also went on and he said, the Bible says to bring a red cow to purify Israel. I may not understand it, but I am just doing what the Bible said. That's interesting. He wrote, he says this, the prophecies came true and the Jewish people are back in the land of, back in Israel. Now they need to build a temple, but it's like buying a really nice car. If you don't have a key, you're not going anywhere. The red heifer is the key to making the temple work like it's supposed to. It's it's interesting that a Christian is motivated to do this. Um, I just find it interesting. I wonder how, I wonder, first of all, uh, let's say an average Israeli reading that, I think, this is just subjective in my opinion, an average Israeli reads this and goes, Ay, this, these Ghanifs, these <laughs> Gentiles, these Goyim, they're driving us crazy. We have to live here, and they're playing with dynamite on the Temple Mount. Exactly, and that's, which it will be, like you said. It will become a serious issue. Um, but it's, you know, you start to wonder, too, a red heifer, what, kosher, which we're going to talk about that in a moment, but kosher is very important, and would would a would a red heifer be unkosher if it was a gentile, a goy, who is raising the red heifer? That, my friend, is a question for the rabbis. Well, I could picture two sides who say, "Well, if it fulfills Almighty, <laughs> it might be kosher," and the other guy says, "No, no, it can't be kosher at all. These these gentiles, trafe, these goyim, they're unclean. Trafe. We can't go near them." That that red heifer is is horrible. We can't do it. 
It's uh, no, not. And on and on it goes. They get to argue. Well, here we go, because in the article, it has a Talmud. uh, uh, Oh, we have an answer already. Non-Jews and the red heifer. This would not be the first time that non-Jews have helped provide a red heifer to the Jewish people. There you go. The Talmud, which is a religious uh, book of the laws, interpretations of the laws uh, that the Jewish people follow, um, definitely, these are oral laws. This isn't written law like the Torah from the Bible. This is the laws that come during the rabbinical period. It says that the Talmud related that a non-Jew named Dama ben Natina refused to provide gems needed for the temple, despite the offer of a large reward, due to the fact that his father was sleeping on the key to the box holding the gems, and he did not want to disturb his father's rest. This is a very old story, hundreds and hundreds of years old. In reward for the respect he showed for his father, a red heifer was born into Ben Natina's herd the next year, and he was able to sell the temple, sell the temple, the heifer, for the money he would have earned if he had sold them the gems. So it was not trafe. It was was kosher. That's right. They accepted in the past a red heifer. So it shall be written. So it shall be done. <laughs> so anyway, keep, we'll keep our eyes out on how all this red heifer stuff. I always feel like the red heifer is one of those, you know, impossible things to ever get. It's what, you know, it, but hey, maybe we're getting, maybe it's getting close. Maybe, maybe. All right, Steve, we've got another news item that we picked out here well, from Mexico, actually. Uh, Mexico, the uh, Mexican authority raided the Lev Tahor cult compound and detained 26 members. This is coming from the Times of Israel. Uh, Chris, what's this all about? What What's going on in Mexico? And what they actually, there's a picture, and you're going to send the link. They they don't even look Jewish. They, the way they're dressed, they almost look like Muslims. Yeah, this is a Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox Hasidic group that is ex- a very extreme Extreme to the point where they follow extreme laws. Uh, there's about, I think, 350 of them. Um, they started off, I believe, in Israel, and then they made their way down. Um, let me see here. We have the—it uh, the, was an extremist ultra-Orthodox sect that was founded by Rabbi Shlomo Hellbrands in Jerusalem in the 1980s. Uh, they left Israel. They went to Canada then, from Canada to Guatemala in 2014, um, and they were kicked out of Canada because of child abuse— and early child marriage. Um, and so this group made their way down to Guatemala, uh, Guatemala, and I'm guessing they made their way up into Texas, or I mean Mexico, and there the Mexicans uh, have essentially round them up and the, they could face charges uh, for up to 20 years um, for uh, sexual charges and you know early child marriage, all of these things. So what's interesting, it's an extremist Jewish group, this Lev Tahor group. Um, this one particular man escaped, uh, Steve. He, he escaped yep. the, 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 he calls it a cult. It was a Jewish man who escaped back to Israel, but he had a son during that time, and the, and the Jewish group kept the son. Um, and so uh, when the um, authorities came in, and arrested them, that three-year-old boy, his son, was returned to Israel yeah, with him. Yeah, flew back to Israel, and he said, I knew there was no chance I would leave him to live a life of cruel laws, mind control, hunger, and misery. My dreams came true on Rosh Hashanah, he said, referring to the Jewish New Year when he his son was reunited with him. That's, it's kind of sad uh, to, ha- to have those kind of accusations and to lifestyle, and which is contrary, contrary to the Scriptures. Um, it's it just very, very upsetting. But 
Uh, nonetheless, they provided this, kosher food for them. They, in prison. In prison. <laughs> they have they kosher get, food. They got that's, kosher, right. that's what the article said. You're locked up for good, but here's your kosher uh, food. Here's your kosher hey, food. Let's talk about another thing that this group enlightens us to is that uh, there is a there are, and they're here in the United States too. It's not this Lev Tahor group, but there are other ultra Orthodox groups that are actually anti Israel. And this was a uh, ultra orthodox group that was. I know this is kind of probably making our listeners' head spin. So wait, how do you have an ultra orthodox group that's anti-Israel, anti-Zionist? Well, I believe there's a a, a a group of them here in the United States, and in fact, they have uh, um, uh, shown allegiance to at least this group, Lev Tahor, to the Ayatollah Khomeini in Iran because they're so anti-Israel. But they're anti-Israel for a reason that is actually what they think is more biblical. That's right, Chris. They believe that only the Messiah can bring his people back to the land uh, and usher in a, the kingdom uh, where, where there will be peace forever. And instead, we have an Israel that they would say is a false, it's all false pretense, because the Messiah didn't make it happen. It was done by men, uh, men who were... Uh, not even religious Jews, men uh, and women who were secular, and some who didn't even believe in God, gave no acknowledgement at all to God. And you know, when you look at Ezekiel 37, there's a there's actually a reason to kind of justify that, because in Ezekiel 37, the dry bones prophecy, we're told that the bones come together. This is bone. This these bones are the whole house of Israel. We're told they come together. And they stand that as they, they're all reassembled. Those dry parched bones are reassembled, put all the skin put back on everything except God's breathing into them. Mm-hmm. So what they're saying, it's unjustified. They're saying this, unjustified to have Israel Israel unless Messiah does it. We don't believe that, you and I. Mm-hmm. We believe that God is accomplishing his purpose, but at this point in the game, so to speak. Israel is standing, and there is Israel. It's a country. It's a miracle. It's a miracle in the Middle East. But as a nation, they are in unbelief. God's breath is not in them. So it's kind of a hybrid of being right and wrong at the same time. And we actually have history on our side, because if you remember in the Old Testament, Israel was kicked out of the land, um, and then they came back under Ezra and Nehemiah, Several hundred years goes by, and Israel isn't living the way they should be living. In fact, they've got issues of, uh, you know, of uh, man-made laws, but they also have pagans ruling the land. And who comes in the midst of all that? And God even says, yeah, I'm coming at the right time and the fullness of time. The Lord Jesus, the Messiah, comes to a, a, an Israel that was reborn. It wasn't uh, in its perfect state. It was just, it was controlled by Herod. It had, uh, you know, like I said, Pharisees and Sadducees. It had all these issues. Jesus came to an Israel then. And so should we expect it to be that only the Messiah can bring Israel uh, back into existence? Well, he's the one who breathes life into them, but God's the one forming them right now as we speak. So. Yeah, so this group, it's a, it's, you know what's interesting? Uh, I think Israel is one of the few countries, if not the only country, that is transparent. There's news that gets, it's a free country. And so that means you see all the blemishes, all the troubles, all the, all the stuff that goes with being a people. And the Bible's that way. God, that's our model. God and his word, the living word, tells us, teaches us, look, I chose these people. 
and look at them. Yep. Ay, 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 ay. But it's transparent. We are a we are a sinful people as a people. We're stiff-necked and hard-hearted, and yet God thought we were special. Mm-hmm. It for whatever reason, us in His sovereignty, and He chose us. Just like as believers, Chris, you and I are chosen before the foundation of the earth. I, while we were yet sinners, mm-hmm. Christ died for us. What an amazing, amazing truth. It's true. Uh, Steve, what do you think would have happened if they were on the Guatemala-Mexican border? What do you think would have happened if they were on the Mexican-United States border? I, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> they would have walked right on in, you know? <laughs> No problem whatsoever. Probably, probably. and that's of course the political side of us. That's right. Well, we don't have to. It's just we can make we can we can laugh at it a little bit. But anyway, uh, that's just a little bit of news of what's going on in Israel and the Jewish world. But Steve, we've got a. We've got a fun Yiddish word. I'm sure a Yiddish word that actually, it's actually more of a Hebrew word we talked is, about as a Hebrew word. It is more of a Hebrew word, but because of the eight, uh, because of the five uh, red heifers, we decided to talk about the word kosher. Kosher, that's right. And you know what? It's not just the five red heifers. It's the fact that these people in prison are eating kosher. They're eating kosher food in prison. That's and right. you know what they say? Just a little insight. If you ever have the opportunity to fly and you know you're going to get food on the airline it's apps they don't ask you any questions you should order a kosher meal because if you order a kosher meal on a flight the food is fresher really and it's hotter it's made special there's you know on a typical flight you go and you order kosher food i know you've seen it before oh, yeah. they and you get served first <laughs> so really? just a little in oh yeah every single time they'll first serve the kosher meals and those are made special. Those are to order. And then all the Gentiles and all the Jewish people who don't care about that, they then they plop that stuff in front of you. <laughs> but the kosher food is better food. Okay, that's good to know. I didn't know that. I'll do that next, next time, time I fly to Israel. Out, yeah. Order ahead of I'm time. I'm going in March. So. Going in March and just order a kosher meal. That's oh, a- our, our friends of Israel people will look at you and say, look, what is I getting know. special treatment? Yeah. Well, I, I'll tell I, them they should have first. listened to the Jew and Gentile podcast. <laughs> they they would have learned how to order their food for their flight to Israel. You test it out and see if it's not better. All right, well, let's, we, we, we jumped kind of right in, but uh, kosher... Um, is related to specifically food that Jewish people can uh, can eat in relationship to food that they can't eat, that there are rules about what they can and can't eat uh, that come from the law, for, especially from Leviticus. So can you talk a little oh, bit about yeah, kosher? Oh, yeah, I sh- sure can. What I tell people about the word kosher, it's not a style of cooking. Some people think kosher food, oh, that's a style of cooking. No, you can have kosher business practices. Oh, they yeah. talk about it all that I've heard Gentiles talking to each other in business. Yeah, that's not kosher. Said, that, you can't do that. That's not kosher. Yeah. Uh, there's kosher uh, relationships with, you know, you start to date somebody. When is it kosher to not date somebody else? You know, you're dating multiple people. You're in the early stages. Wait a minute. What week is it? The 10th week? The third week? The fourth week? When is it kosher? To, to not. Uh, when is the right time to stop uh, multiple dating? Yeah. Or a woman could turn to her boyfriend. Or are you even classified on the third date? Wait, that's not kosher. I thought we had we've had two dates already. Why'd you date that 
Yep, unkosher. Unkosher, trafe. That's a trafe relationship. Yeah, un, yeah that's unclear. Okay, so, but kosher means essentially fit, proper. Fit. It's the right. right thing. There's rules. There's regulations. And sometimes they're laid out, as in the Bible, but sometimes they're not spoken. And yeah. you violate a, a unspoken law. That's not kosher. The, one of the most elementary understandings of uh, understanding of kosher is, you know, you don't eat bacon, you don't eat lobster, you don't eat clams, you don't eat, uh, you know, things that have pigs in them. That's or all the pig things meat. that taste real good. That's right. I, I, there's a comedian that uh, me and the kids and my wife, like Jim Gaffigan, and he was talking about the, you know, how like religion. And he said, you know, there's a, like the law, you know, uh, could you imagine when God's speaking and he says, you shall not commit murder? Okay, I got that. You shall not commit adultery against your wife. Okay, I got that. You shall not eat bacon. Wait a minute. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I can do this. But that's a part of you know what identified them as being Jewish. But then you think about this red heifer. This red heifer is kosher up until the point it gets more than three hairs that are that, not I, red on that's it. That's correct. It's on. It's trafe. It's no good. That's so, right. You know, I used to work at a kosher butcher when I was in high school, and a good chunk of the people I delivered meat to were Gentiles. Were Gentiles, and you say, "Wait a minute, why is that?" So I would. A- I asked the Gentiles I was delivering to, and they said, "Are you kidding me?" That. That we don't we don't want what the what the Jewish people throw away. They open up the cow, and if there's a spot on it, if there's something, give it to the goyim. And yeah. so these Gentiles knew that, and they we want the we want the best. We, we want the best too. <laughs> don't just sell it to the goyim. We don't want that. That's right. Well, you know what? That's because we're learning the tricks of the trade. I'm going to be ordering kosher food on the airplane now. I will know. I will get served first with the freshest food. There you go. You know, hundred percent. All right. Well, listen, Steve. I think we've had a great episode today. I think it's great. And we had. Uh, well, it's we're in our second year now of That's the right. Jew and Gentile podcast. Don't forget. That, that's our our friends, our new the friends. The praying guy and the soldier who will protect you who's a woman. There you go. Only I like in it. Israel. Only in Israel. I like it. Well, thank you so much for being with us on the Jew and Gentile podcast. For more information about FOI Equip, who sponsors the podcast, go to foiequip.org. Hey, sign up for my class that's coming, Intertestamental History, where we study between the testaments. You can do that by going to foiequip.org. Hey, and ask your stupid questions. The stupid question of the day. Stupid question. National day. foiequip.org. Hey, thanks for being with us on a Jew and Gentile podcast. We'll see you next week.